Welcome guys to the Macros Bodybuilding and Powerlifting Podcast. First of all, I just want to let you all know that we still are running the competition for the free ebook, my ebook, Get Big Stay Lean, and also Renaissance Periodization's nutritional ebook about healthy eating. Um, that will be given away, uh, I think it's St. Patrick's Day um, was the date I was giving away. I don't know what date that is off the top of my head. Um, but apart from that, to get a chance to win that, need to review the podcast over on iTunes and now I'll be releasing who's winning it over on Facebook. So anyway, without further ado, I want to introduce our exciting guest who's also a friend as I train at the same gym as Lawrence Farncom coaches out of. And so I just want to give a brief introduction and I'll allow Lawrence to add anything that he wants to add to this that he deems pretty important. So Lawrence has got over two decades of experience in strength and conditioning, so very well experienced and has a background in combative sports and loved the idea of building a perfect athlete, which I got from his one rep max method book, which I think is fantastic. And I love that quote, um, kind of having trying to build a perfect athlete. It's just a very cool thing and I had never really thought about it. Um, so he's competed raw um, at national and international meets himself, so he's got experience in the field. Um, and is currently the head GB powerlifting coach and has played a pivotal role in their success internationally and has some tremendous athletes. And I know he cares a lot through his athletes, which I think I really, really like about Lawrence himself. So is there anything you want to add to that, Lawrence, or is that... Oh, that was great. That was a great <laughs> intro. A lot of that I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, for me... Even having met you personally, I know how much you care for your athletes and how much you really, really have passion for the sport of powerlifting. And I think that kind of really comes across within your book, uh, which I think is fantastic. And we will touch on that. Um, but what I really wanted to get into is I think a lot of people, and especially as powerlifting is becoming more and more popular, people are getting more into it. They, they may try and think they're doing powerlifting, but they may not understand, especially peaking and the kind of lifting one rep maxes, which is in a sense what powerlifting is. If we get as specific as possible, that's what it is. Yeah. Um, and obviously your book is probably one of the only books out there that is specifically about peaking for powerlifting. Yeah. So the first thing I wanted to get into is basically what would you deem as the biggest difference between kind of generic strength training which is probably kind of the majority of your powerlifting career versus peaking for powerlifting what do you see as the biggest differences between the two yeah i mean obviously i mean as you know you're a knowledgeable guy so you know when it comes down to building strength you're building that foundation you know so admittedly a lot of the time in training you're going to spend building that foundation so if it's gpp general preparation where you're looking at limiting factors, whatever they may be, strength deficits, whatever, intrinsic faulty mechanics. Um, again, what most people don't really realize, and, and in powerlifting, they tend to be over-obsessed with how much they can lift and not how well they can lift it, and that's a big limiting factor too. You know, you're, you're, you might be genetically really well endowed, but at the end of the day, if you're not technically very good, then maybe you want to spend more time looking at improving your technical ability so that that isn't the limiting factor and or create injuries or plateaus, whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. So um, I guess going back to your question is, you know, most of the time you are looking at spending in those kind of functional hypertrophy or just pure max strength kind of levels where you're building a base, mm -hmm. you know, once you've built that base, 
it's all about peaking. Really, tapering is what peaking is, predominantly. Tapering off volume, increasing intensity. I mean, there's tons of meta-analysis that will support that. Increasing in intensity in strength and power sports is, is effectively how you're going to create a better peak. But you obviously have to drop down the volume to accommodate that. And possibly you need to look at training frequency. You know, when it comes down to training frequency, if I'm increasing the intensity, should I be squatting three times a week? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Is my nervous system, now it's so taxed, is it really recovering well enough for me to squat three times a week? Is squatting three times or four times a week bad or good? Depends, doesn't it? Depends if you're peaking up, if your nervous system's getting mashed up, if you can lift three, 350 kilos or if you're only lifting 150. Maybe you can lift four times a week. But, yeah, it's all about, I guess the book is all about creating the best peak off of what you've created underneath that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so. Yeah, I guess, and you importantly talked on training volume and intensity. Mm. And during strength training, kind of, you need both of these kind of quite high, so you're building kind of a lot of strength, and that's the best way. Mm -hmm. But that is going to create a lot of fatigue um, with it, fitness, but that then your preparedness, which is kind of, your peak strength is going to be covered and you're not going to be able to see your peak strength. That's right, yeah, or mask it. Exactly. So that's why you have to taper. And I think a lot of people get confused because they might think, oh, I'm, I'm at the like last week of my strength cycle. I'm then going to try and kind of hit an AMRAP on a maximal load. And it's like, well, you're actually probably really not going to get a very good kind of measure on what you, you can achieve. Totally, yeah. And, and like I say, you know, what the benefit behind that is, is uh, it's very little. In reality, you're creating more fatigue. And then if you are going to try and peak up, what do, your body's probably struggling to recover from is the fatigue from that last AMRAP, like you're saying, maximal amount of reps that you're going to perform. Mm -hmm. um, and the value goes right down, you know. And also, you, again, you've got to go back to movement pattern and look at that is doing the most amount of repetitions possible on a lift that you're going to test your one rep max, really that specific or really that valuable to the sport? You know, ultimately, if you could, if I see someone being able to do, you know, uh, 150 kilos for 20 reps, it's a waste mm -hmm. because at the end of the day, in fact, it tells me nothing. It just probably tells me that actually they might not be very well suited you know, well, let's say 100 kilos, they might not be well, very well suited to the sport of powerlifting because they're actually quite slow twitch. Their ability to perform high reps is quite good. Mm -hmm. Therefore, they're not going to be the best powerlifter in the end. They're not that well endowed when it comes to a one rep max, you know, tapping into those high threshold motor units. So, yeah, I mean, I think, I think like you say, the foundation or the building strength previously, it's a huge subject. And it's and it's very it's going to be it's going to be very specific to the individual about how you need to do that. You know, is it a lifter that does need to focus on functional hypertrophy because you know they are at the bottom end of that weight class and they're gangly and, and in reality, you know, you can see visibly as well that they would benefit from more mass. But there's a trade-off with that, that if they're doing those higher reps, the chances are their movement pattern might suffer because mm -hmm. they're not tapping into the specific motor pattern that they need to to achieve a one rep max, to effectively look at them and think, well, okay, what's the biomechanically most efficient position or most effective position to lift the most amount of weight within the parameters of the sport, which is all about reducing the range of movement so you can hit the parameters of the sport. Mm -hmm. 
Um, but yeah, like you say, um, it, it, it really does depend on what that person, and that's why having a good coach is essential so they can identify, you know, what you need as an individual, what your kinesthetic awareness, your ability to train in motor patterns are, because, you know, if you are someone at the lower end, but in reality, you're not technically that good a lifter, you probably benefit from technique over you would mass straight away because if you're trying to go for those higher rep ranges, to try and train in really good mechanics is going to be a lot harder and, and less likely. Every rep you do, you become more fatigued. The more reps you do fatigued, the more likelihood you're going to train out a good motor pattern. Mm -hmm. You know, practice doesn't make perfect. Perfect practice makes perfect. Mm -hmm. And yeah. being able to do multiple sets of triples at lower intensities potentially with perfect form is better than doing, for instance, relative intensity. So how it feels if you're doing loads of reps where you're exhausted and your movement pattern breaks down, you know, mm -hmm. it's a real American thing that <laughs> I tend to find. No. Yeah. It's, it's part of strength or a big part of strength. Isn't just kind of, we all know kind of a bigger muscle can be made stronger and kind of some researchers try and say that that's not necessarily true, but like you always can see big guys. Got to be some truth behind that. Yeah. There? I mean, we can all inherently know that that's true yeah. um, without seeing a study to tell us that. But yeah. you picked out a great point in that strength and a big part of it is the neurological, the technique side, which makes kind of, that's why you can get smaller lifters who aren't necessarily that big, but they have nailed their technique. And that's something I know you're personally big on technique. Mm. And especially, I guess, for peaking, when one of the elements of peaking is obviously specificity. So we talked about kind of GPP phases or hypertrophy phase is going to strength and then peaking is as specific as you want to get because you're getting yeah. towards those one rep max lifts. So in terms of specificity, kind of how does a, as you go through a peaking cycle, as you're getting away from kind of strength training and more specifically tapering and going to peaking, how does that specificity come in? Kind of do you focus primarily just on the, the main three lifts? Does the training intensity get into a certain kind of percentage that you kind of stick to? Mm. Um, do you get rid of kind of bands and chains and things like that? Um, how does that develop? Yeah, totally. It's a good question. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, specificity blah, is key. You know what I mean? Um, you know, effectively, you've got to reduce fatigue, elevate fitness, and enhance specificity. I, could, I still can't pronounce it. <laughs> um, and that's really the goal, isn't it? And 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 based on that, you know, we talked about volume. And in reality, if you're trying to do too much, if you're trying to do things that are accommodating your strength curve in like chains, bands, well, they're not that specific. They're great for creating a super maximal effect on the nervous system, but they're not that specific. So in reality, you know, when you're coming in, you probably do need to drop out all of the stuff that's less specific. I kind of have a rule, if I'm totally honest, um, and it does change from, from time to time. And I think I did write about it a little in the book. Mm -hmm. And it's if you're somebody that's, for instance, more of a novice, not super strong yet, or even if you're you know, intermediate female, you know, maybe you fall in that category because your nervous system is going to probably not get so mashed up by the weights that you're lifting. Mm -hmm. You know, in that case, you could probably do your main movements, you know, obviously squat, bench and deadlift. And, and assistant work that's a similar motor pattern, you know, that are probably focusing on 
your strength deficits. And if it's done right, you can build a little bit of strength without creating too much fatigue. Mm-hmm. But if you're a much stronger lifter and you know, you're lifting, let's say, 300 kilos or close to it or more, um, you know, do you really want to be doing similar motor patterns in that same session? You know, chances are you'd probably benefit from doing smaller muscle groups that weren't, you know, from really small stuff. Let's say you were lacking in the VMO, um, vastus medialis obliquus. And, and that was, that was something you've had injuries before. You've got patella tracking problems that maybe you're just better off doing your squat, you know, and doing, doing a, a variant if you wanted to on a deadlift and then doing a little bit of VMO work an accessory kind of exercise you know like a a poliquin step up a tk Mm -hmm. whatever it may be and maybe a bit of leg curl but at the end of the day when you're peaking you got to look at it that it's got to be about reward if you walk in there that day and you feel tired and you're trying to still add in those small accessories what's the point Mm -hmm. you know if you're a if you're a smaller lifter and you're recovering really quite well because the training frequency, the amount of times you train per week, you've actually gone from three squats to two, and and hey, it's no problem for you. You know what I mean? Yeah. As an example, then maybe you even want to do some accessory work that's a similar motor pattern. Like you might want to do I don't know some Hatfield squats or something like that, just because you want to keep the muscle hypertrophy in the leg as well. Mm-hmm. You know, because you you're gonna you know peak for around four six weeks, whatever it may be. So, you know, that may be something you're looking at. But, yeah, it is all about specificity. And and effectively, you do have to look at the most important thing is reducing the volume, like we kind of said before, yeah. rather than recap over it, and making it as specific as possible. And, again, kind of not hyping up the book. <laughs> uh, but the One Rep Max, what it does is it gives you even that psychological specificity because – when you're coming into a competition, the biggest problem that people have, and I coach hundreds of lifters, my own and other lifters that come from, you know, from great, from really good coaching programming, like RTS is, is good stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And, and other stuff, you know, like Bryce's stuff is great as well. You know, he does a good job of programming. But sometimes what you find is that, you know, if they're working on RPEs too much and it, it's they're not getting that psychological aspect of walking in the gym and fucking knowing sorry about the french <laughs> and <laughs> sorry about that explicit. <laughs> and knowing that you've got to nail a max triple or you've got to nail a max double and if it goes fucking wrong it goes wrong you know what i mean mm-hmm. and it's good there your predictor lives and but you but that's not just about giving you better knowledge about attempt selections and where you should aim it's also about creating that same psychological state every other week so that effectively you know how to handle those nerves, how to handle that adrenaline, and that is specific. So we're going back to really your question. It becomes specific because you've gone in there and you, you've got this emotional attachment and you will not – you want that triple because that's going to point you in the direction of what your single is, yeah? Mm-hmm. So, so that specificity – and a psychological aspect, and that's something that a lot of lifters, again, don't do enough of, that in reality, they come in, they RPE, oh yeah, it's an RPE, they get a bit psyched up, nine, maybe it's a nine and a half, but they know, they know that they're not going balls out. Now, I'm not saying to, to a point where the technique's breaking down, it's dog shit, because that's not going to get you anywhere, mm-hmm. but they know they need this, you know, and they're not even an RPE 9.5, you know that you're leaving 
a bit in the tank. You know what I mean? So, yeah, you probably are. And if you're a strong guy, you have get got to get psyched up, but not to the same level as a max triple. And if you look at most of the Europeans, I mean, bear in mind, we've been doing this as long as the Americans, not knocking the Americans. But if you look at most of the Europeans, most of the Europeans have been doing max triples and max doubles to estimate competition 1RMs mm-hmm. for a bloody long time. And they've been good at it really good at it and some of the some of the most knowledgeable people in powerlifting come from europe believe it or not you know what i mean and and that's a fact you know they might be in denmark you know they might be all over the place but they do so so we in europe that it's been really great for that that we've you know and that we've got that specificity about max triples and max doubles and i picked this up a long long time ago from really great coaches in this country and those guys have been around a lot of the really great coaches in Europe and Russia and all the rest of it, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so, and I think sometimes people are forgetting their roots and forgetting that that specificity is really, really fundamental to achieving a one rep max. But going back to the actual training specificity, yes, it's all about focusing more on the main lifts. You know, don't waste your energy on doing too much accessory or assistant work. You know, but, you know, in some cases you might find if you've come off of a really high volume style training that you can do a little bit more. If you haven't come off of something really high volume, something more maybe um, a modified West Side template, West Side style approach, then, you know, it's probably not ideal for you to, to start adding in more assistant and accessory work. You just want to keep it, you know, and, and the most important thing is you want to walk away from most sessions feeling like you had a little left in the tank. Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, you're trying to create the ideal environment to peak. And that's, you know, that's really what it's all about. Yep. Sorry, a little off subject there. <laughs> no, 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 it was great. Um, really, really interesting. I think touched on some key points and like we kind of have, hopefully the audience have kind of got away from this, that the peaking process is obviously that enhancement of specificity, yeah. bringing down of fatigue and trying it's... to maintain fitness because that's probably the, the hardest part is trying to maintain that fitness, which is what you're yeah. talking about and talk yeah. about bringing down fatigue, that's yeah. all individual to the lifter. So if, so if someone is kind of very novice, they're probably not gonna produce that much fatigue that's gonna take that long to come down all the time. So they can have like a shorter taper and a less kind of, maybe even a less specific actual kind of length of period of time that they're tapering as well. Whereas when you're more advanced, the more you can lift, these things need to be more specific. You need to take more care over them. Yeah. And I yeah. think something- You've also got the taper, which like you said was, you know, the greater volume you did in the previous taper means that probably the peak, you know, so the greater amount of volume did in the previous phase, the greater the taper will be. But there again, therein lies a real big problem that you can taper your nervous system. But there again, if it's more than a long period of time without enough volume, like say you lose your fitness. So, Mm -hmm. so, and especially unenhanced, this is the problem. Again, there's way too much information out there from, lifters that isn't specific for unenhanced lifters and what i guess what i mean by that is that that their tapers they tend to do like step tapers which have been shown to be the most ineffective where they'll do phenomenal amounts of volume and then they'll completely for two or three weeks drop drop the volume so that it doesn't even exist and they'll just get in there and just do a little bit, maybe 90%, or they might even keep the intensity really high, 
but they just do almost no volume. But because they're enhanced, they will not be they, they won't suffer from muscle atrophy and they won't be, you know, losing that fitness quality that they spent so long trying to build up. So this is why again going back to the book, why small amounts of volume interchange, something undulating and decreasing a linear a linear style taper or an exponential style taper have been shown again in research to be much, much more effective than these step tapers, you know? And in truth, step tapers probably do work reasonably well with enhanced lifters. They just do not work at all well. I mean, Jesus, I used to beat my head up 20 years ago trying to do these bloody tapers, these step tapers, and wonder why by week two I was I was actually starting to lose strength. And then I thought I got smart and thought, I know, I need to super compensate. I need to have so much volume in the previous phase that, that effectively I'm going to overreach and super compensate. So I'm going to have a better training effect. Did it work? No, not well. Because the problem that I had was that even though admittedly higher volume is a good thing to a degree, but at the same time, if I'm doing reasonably high intensity and reasonably high volume, by the end of that phase, I am so beat up that what happens, because I'm unenhanced, right? Mm-hmm. I'm so beat up for two weeks. For two weeks, I'm not actually in a good place. So that means two weeks I've had um, I've had crap training. So not only has it made my ability when I'm peaking up to try and estimate what I'm going to be able to lift, I've got no bloody idea because I'm so beat up I can't hit a good triple or a double. And then I'm trying to go on RPEs or you know reps reps in reserve, whatever it may be, some auto-regulation way of doing it, and I'm still screwed because – now I'm thinking, you know, two two hundred, let's say, is is RP nine point five. But really, if I hadn't beat myself up so bad, I'd have a better idea of what my attempt selections are. And the problem is again because because you're unenhanced, you're going to find that that two weeks is just too long to completely cut volume. It is just too long. So in reality, definitely increasing volume and intensity in the previous phase. So an SPP phase is worth doing. Don't cherry pick. Don't and again, I think I mentioned that in the book. Don't cherry pick and think, oh yeah, yeah, loads. There's loads of research showing overreaching is the way to go. Remember that research was performed with other sports, and these other sports rely on different motor abilities. So they rely on fitness, skill. Uh, sorry, uh, skill. <laughs> fitness is one. <laughs> uh, skill, um, strength. Um, cardiovascular you know they they need these different and that combination means that they reduce they go high and then they go low but if all they did was strength 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 yeah the nervous system gets so mashed up for weeks after it can't do very much mm-hmm. and you can't maintain your fitness because you have to drop the ve- the level of volume so great that what happens is even though your nervous system might be bouncing up you haven't maintained fitness so this is why you know, there are three types of tapers, yeah? And if I'm honest, again, the one rep max method is kind of in between a linear taper and an exponential taper, which has been shown, there's loads of research, to be the most effective form of a taper. In truth, it's it's not quite either because it's undulating in volume, yeah. which we found to be the best on the way up. So why wouldn't it be the best on the way down? There's no science to back it up, but I have used a hell of a lot of, HRV data, heart rate 
you know, stuff like that, where mm. I've actually looked at that HRV data and it's backed up that people are recovering, are peaking. And I've done that over a long period of time, which again, I honestly don't think many coaches or if any coaches have done when they've used their peaking and tapering methods, they've not used heart rate variability or other forms of testing to know how well their athlete is peaking. And and that is, hey, guys, if you haven't got heart rate variability and you're really into training, get it. Because it's going to tell you when you need to do those smaller workouts. Mm -hmm. It's going to tell you. You don't need a coach. And obviously, I've tried writing something where it tries to program that in as best as it can based on, you know, the specific stress, uh, stress that the program's creating. But bear in mind that at the end of the day, it, the book or the method cannot factor in the non-specific stress of your life. So that's why if you've got if you've got relationship problems, you're working double shifts, you're not eating, you're not sleeping, whatever. At the end of the day, if you're training smart, you need to factor that into your training because all stress is relative. Mm-hmm. Yeah, whether it comes from training, specific stress to what your goal is, or non-specific specific stress from life, it's all relative. And if you don't factor that in, you're not going to get the results you want. Again, that's why that's what coaches, good coaches, are doing. They might not all have great knowledge when it comes to physiology or, or methodology, or but you know what? Great coaches, what they all do is they all look and they all see. And they've got great knowledge, they've got great experience, which allows them to know when the right time is to back off and when the right time is to push and when the and how that's going to affect this athlete peaking up. They haven't got a crystal ball. They're not going to be able to kind of say that in the last week where you really tapered off a lot, that other factors aren't going to come into play. But again, you see, if you've got a good coach, what's going to happen in that case is you know, let's say in the last, it was all great for three or four weeks, whatever it may be. In the last week, everything went dog shit. You know what I mean? But you know what a good coach will do? They'll turn around and tell you, look at you on the day, and they will assess the numbers they think you can honestly get on mm-hmm. the day. Not not what your training said, because remember, again, a one rep max is a dynamic variable that changes from day to day. You know, and I read something online a while ago from Matt Gary, um, and he basically put something into words that I'd been thinking. I'd never really put it into words. And I thought to myself, you know what? He's hit the nail right on the head there, you know. And he said, a good coach, good handle, a good competition coach, if you're going to get good attempts, it's all about not having an emotional attachment to a weight. Mm-hmm. But where I'll add to that is you want your lifter, or if you are the lifter, you do want an emotional attachment. If you don't truly believe you can do 250, you ain't lifting 250. Mm-hmm. Even if your training says you should, you ain't doing it. So what a coach does or a handler is looks at that and, and turns around and says, you know what? You ain't got that today. It's better to get three lifts. You're going to build a better total. You might medal, you know what I mean, you, in the individual if you're an international or overall in your total, you're not costing a total. But at the end of the day, they they need to separate themselves and, and look at it and say, you know what, they haven't got that. Or, you know what, there's a medal and it's five kilos off. I honestly think they've got more in the tank than they think they have. And then as a coach, you need to go away and go, tell me what you honestly think. What is the honest, biggest you can do? When they tell you a number that's going to put you in a medal, 
you're going to say, I believe that too. You can do this. And you need to then reconvince mm-hmm. them. This is the fucking number because we want that medal. <laughs> yeah, I think that's, it's fantastic. And I think that's when having that relationship with your coach is so important for whatever it might be. I mean, I, I find it really important for nutrition, for any sort of training to have that relationship so you can be open and honest and have a real trust in your coach. I think that that's really important. And I just wanted to touch on the heart rate variability because I think that's really interesting. And I know um, RTS have their own kind of system they use within, uh, Mike Tashoda has his own kind of system there. And I've used, I, I remember using a tap test on my phone, which like yeah, however yeah. many taps I when got. When you said RTS, me. that was what I was thinking. I was like, yeah, okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so, um, but I think something I've used as well, and it's, it's probably because I work online more so than yourself at the moment and you have clients one-on-one, so you can kind of see bar speed, you can talk to them, see how they are. Something yeah. I really find helpful is if people are doing their own coaching, they might be able to kind of relate to this. It's like having a kind of a rating of how that set felt. So was it really slow? Was it grindy? Or did it feel okay? Was it tough? Or was it re- like really easy and smooth? That's kind of a bit of a rating system that people can probably use for themselves yeah. during these times. And also, I just talked to I'm the person. I'm write that down. That's <laughs> for my online clients. Yeah, no, it's a re- <laughs> it, it helps me a ton kind of knowing whether yeah. I feel like they can do more, whether they need to back off or do less. And obviously, I, I talk to them and you talk to your your coaching clients as well and just asking them how how are you feeling kind of what have you got going on during your like life and stresses like that and that's actually something i wanted to talk more on something i absolutely love within the book was how you talked about kind of the sympathetic and the parasympathetic state and for people who don't know the parasympathetic state is what we're talking about kind of that kind of relax rest and digest and although that's important all the time obviously you really emphasize how important it is during peaking have you found kind of ways to improve that for your lifters how you kind of get them to really like if they traditionally stay up really late and they don't care about their nutrition how do you kind of convince them how important it is right now yeah i mean i think i think ultimately you kind of hit the nail on the head when you were saying about you know depending on who they are and that's totally it you know you've got more nervous lifters that you know you're going to have to encourage them a lot more to just try and chill out. And when they say, oh, you know, I was thinking about thinking about the list I'm going to take, you say, don't do that, I'll think for you. You know, in truth, you you know, the worst thing is people talk about visualisation and they say, oh, yeah, it's brilliant. It is. But remember, it creates stress. Yeah, every time you think, you cannot tell me if you're a good lifter, you don't think about what you're going to try at competition, your heart rate doesn't go up. Because if you don't, you're probably not a good lifter, you know, um, you know, or you're in the wrong sport. You know, maybe the sport for you would be meditation or something. But <laughs> it is. But but anyway, the point the point of the matter is is yeah, I think that needs to be you know as a coach that needs to be applied individually. Where some lifters, you know, they're lazy bastards, and that actually serves them well because you can you know you want to fire them up even if you're online. You know, mm-hmm. um, I wrote something with one of my online lifters the other day. Um, yeah, I called him out as a pussy in front of everyone. You know what I mean? Because I was trying to get an effect. Yeah. Because, and you know, not to go into great detail, but I honestly thought he had the third rep. Um, and there's a lot more behind the scenes why I don't, why he put the bar down and didn't quite give it 100%. I understand that. But at the same time, um, you know, and it was about risk and cost, meaning that last time yeah. he dropped his... He had, I don't know, I think it was like 270 on the bar and he dropped 
278 and he bent his Texas bar. So the cost and the risk, he was pissed off. So now he's got a nice new rogue bar and uh, he was like, I'm not risking it. <laughs> but you've got to risk it. And, I, and, and unfortunately for him, you know, he trains on his own. Um, so, so effectively, if he had two two side spotters, then he would have risked it. He would have done it. And yeah. and sometimes you've got to risk a little. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. So, so I think going back, actually, sorry to, I always tend to do that, divert a little off. But um, going back to what your question was, yeah, recovery and focusing on parasympathetic nervous system is key when it comes right down to peaking. You know, if you can. Again, I had a conversation yesterday with um, actually. I think you saw him. The lad I was coaching. That was a guy who's got oh, a, yeah. a European title fight coming up. So it's a massive fight for him. It's life changing. If he wins this fight, he's got a new fucking life. You know yeah. what I mean? It's you know, it's a big title to win for him. You know, it's one off of a world title, right? So, so in reality, you know, I had the very same conversation with him just yesterday. So you know what? Creating a peak is a peak, whether it's for a world title fight or for a divisional competition or a world championships. It's, it's still a peak. Mm-hmm. So, so the same principles are true, you know, to a degree. Um, so I said to him, he said, oh, he said, Lawrence, um, can I finish my coffee now? I've, I've, I, I like my coffee. Can I finish it? It was the end of the workout, and I got it, and I threw it in the bin. I said, no, fuck off. And he went like that, and he went, why? And I went, because in truth, you should have drunk that about – 15, 20 minutes before the session. Mm-hmm. Because remember, it's stimulating his sympathetic nervous system. You know, adrenaline. I know some people have become quite immune to caffeine, but that's not a good thing anyway. You know what I mean? So so it, I was still trying to get what I was trying to get for him. So I threw the coffee in the bin. He moaned like hell, and I told him to piss off. <laughs> but the point of the matter was, was what I was really trying to get from this guy. But I also said, now, Arthur, when you go home, I want you to go home and I want you to just chill, man. Chill. This is this was the second session of the day. It wasn't a hard one, to be fair, but mm-hmm. still. I want you to chill out, mate. And I want you to – because we need to focus on the recovery. And obviously, the more times you're training, the more you need to recover. Yeah. So, again, that's a little thing with the coffee. You know, drink it before the workout. If you're drinking coffee after, you're stimulating your sympathetic nervous system. You want to stimulate your parasympathetic nervous system and chill. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You know, digestion, all the rest of it, you know? You, that's what you want, increased growth hormone, da-da-da-da-da, all of these recovery stuff, you know what I mean? That's what you're focusing on. And it's really important that after every session, you try and stimulate that parasympathetic nervous system so that you can recover really, really well for the next session, yeah? yeah? And rather than walking around and creating this long-term fatigue coming in. I think that answers the question. No, definitely. And I, and I actually remember we had a conversation about seeing the weightlifters in the Olympics and how you see them do their lift. They get fired up. They might like celebrate a little bit or some of them don't yeah. even celebrate. And they just, yeah. they're just back really chilled out because yeah. they know they've got a lift again. And that's yeah. the best way to rest, recover. And, and to be honest, I guess you'd agree as well. Whenever we train, after our training session, should we should try and chill out at least for like a period of time after that because that's when the body wants to kind of recover, grow the most. Yes. Um, yeah. Of course, it's doing it all the time. We should try and kind of be chilled out as much mm-hmm. as we can. Um, and I know... I remember that conversation with you. Yeah. Because we were saying, because it's, in tr- it's true, isn't it? Because they are such great athletes that, you know, even though I think powerlifting, we focus too much on their training systems and what they do, and it's not the same thing, and we shouldn't do that. But 
I think that as athletes, they're such great athletes that, um, you know, we were talking about because it, it was so cool to watch just how they could do, do, yeah. like, you know, they were so professional, so great, you know, where it came to they could switch it up and turn it down, switch it up, turn it down. And again, you see that you see that with uh, with really great powerlifters. But, you know, I mean, when it comes to professionalism, powerlifting is is here compared to weightlifting when it comes to the athletes. I mean, bear in mind their pedigrees. A lot of them have started since they're like 10, yeah. 8 years old. So, of course, there's a difference. But we are starting to see those thoroughbred pedigrees coming into the sport of powerlifting too now mm-hmm. that started at these sort of younger ages of 12, 13. And they are amazing. You know what I mean? Yeah. They really are. But, yeah, that, that, was, a, that was a good conversation. I'm not saying that powerlifters aren't professional because they are, but I'm just saying that obviously – if you've done it since you're eight year old, since you're eight eight years of age or ten years of age, you know, you're another level. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah, totally. And actually, on a related note, I'd be interested to hear what your thoughts are on kind of some lifters get very revved up before their lifts, and like even kind of all their lifts, seemingly like every single training session, they're like maybe even they're smelling smelling salts every mm. time. And obviously, yeah, yeah, yeah. doing that high degree, that's very stressful. Like and missing lifts is very stressful mm. how would you balance that and especially in peaking kind of because i guess some people would be very tempted to use these sort of methods a lot but obviously mm. that's creating a lot of fatigue mm. and i know you've said how and within the book you really emphasize this which i love there's a strong avoidance on failure because you're yes. training to succeed not training to fail and i know that was quoted within the book and yeah. these things are very important so how do you how do you advise your lifters in terms of smelling salts in terms of how revved up they get for lifts is it the, the rep maxes that they go for or um how yeah how does that kind of develop in the training yeah i think i think um me personally um i don't encourage my lifters to use smelling salts simply uh, i've only got one lifter that does um and that's just because he comes from a different background um a strongman background where he's so used to it that fair enough to him so i've not got a massive problem with it, i'll be honest but for me personally if i'm there early enough as a coach, I'm trying to teach them how to switch on, you know? And if they can't do it, if they're trying to use external factors like getting slapped around or, or you know, you know, and that if it works, it works at the end of the day. But, mm-hmm. you know, if I'm there early enough, I'll coach them how they can do that. You know what I mean? In that they can psychologically switch in. And that's part of part of what a good coach needs to do, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, I think, like you said, there is a cost. And there's a de- there's a definite cost, and hence why again, the one rep max method is you're doing your you know you're you're exposing yourself to kind of that absolute height every other week, not every week, you know, mm-hmm. where you are absolutely psyched to the point where you're going to nail a max triple or a max double or a max four, whatever it is. Um, but there's a cost to it, and that's why that session the the volume is always very very low. You know, mm-hmm. and it's not done again until every other week. So you've got a whole week. You know, if you're getting like like you're going with as well, I'm guessing if you're super psyched all of the time, then again, cumulatively, how's that going to affect you? You are creating fatigue. So so at the end of the day, you know, you you do want to get psyched, but at the same time, there is a cost, and you've got to you've got to realize that. You know, is it the same with every lifter? No, it's different because in truth, I've I've had I've got a really great lifter. I mean, she's not won stuff at a high level yet, and I imagine she will. 
But uh, I was sat there one time and there was another lifter comment, oh, she's a bit too psyched up, she was saying to me. And I went, is she? And she went, yeah, yeah, you know, she's, she's too psyched up. And I went, no, the difference is with this lifter, she can get psyched up, but she's still cognitive. So she's hearing all the commands and she's doing everything right. But yeah, she's crazy psyched up. You know what I mean? But it's the competition. Do you know what I mean? I don't mind. You know, mm -hmm. um, do I want to chill her out in between attempts? 110% I do. There's going to be a cost if she keeps getting this point. But there again, if she's cognitive and can do what she needs to do and she can recover and it's not impairing her lifting, go for it. Mm -hmm. And yet other lifters, I've tried to psych them right up um, to a degree and it doesn't work because then they're not cognitive and then they miss their lifts on technical issues. So I have to bear in mind, I need to find the right point or they need to find the right point if they haven't got a coach where they get psyched up, but they're still in control yeah. and cognitive. If you can go crazy psyched up and as long as it's not creating fatigue and be cognitive, do it. Mm -hmm. If you can't do that, then don't do it because even if you got the lift, you missed on our technicality or something, it probably is not worth it. No, I can relate to that, especially I just, for myself personally, I hadn't got psyched up for many lifts recently. And then I did for one squat and I went and it was my final set and I went to do it. And I was like, my foot positioning's off. My first rep felt like crap. I was like, well, I'm going to have to re-rack this and like chill out and go again. So I think, yeah. I think it's probably something you can actually train yourself at. Like you said, Definitely. if you can. You should train it. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's just, it was just a great point and kind of the whole avoiding failure avoiding kind of all these really massively stressful things and remembering what the point of the taper is to reduce these factors and you're kind of going with the intensity there just to kind of familiarize yourself to how that's all going to feel um yeah. so if we're gonna i just want to kind of round off and make sure people know where they can find out more about yourself i know you're active on instagram you're on facebook so if you just want to kind of drop where would you like most people to kind of try and find you or you've got your website as well so maybe everything's yeah. on there yeah, I mean to be honest, if you check out Instagram, I, I, I under Strength Coach Farncom, I upload quite, I try to upload as many videos as I get a chance, which I get, I've got very little time, but I do upload normally every day, twice a day of lifters. For me, I, I'm, I'm not one of these people. I, you know what? I'd rather just, I'd rather just show the results I get through the what the lifters can lift. You know, you know, you'll see them rather that are. Good lifters, you know, that might not be lifting that much, but technically they're good. And guess what? In a year, they'll be great. I guarantee it, you know. Um, why? Because they're technically good. Um, or they'll be great lifters lifting insane amounts of weights, you know. Um, and so it's fun. I upload those, you know. And I try to upload things that when I'm impressed, I think I'm impressed with that. I'll upload it. I can't be bothered to upload stuff that's just something boring, you know what I mean? Because it doesn't interest me neither. <laughs> um, so, um yeah, so you can check it out, Instagram or like you say, um, my Facebook. Again, it's all Strength Coach Farncombe. Just Google it or Instagram it and you'll see it there. Um, check out the book if you are interested in peaking up. You know, the real reason, the, the well, the real reason I wrote the book was just because I found so many people didn't have a good strategy for peaking. In fact, they didn't even have one, to be perfectly frank. And even the really good coaches putting good information out there, don't ask me why they they seem to write tons of information on how to build strength but never how to actually make it specific to a one rep max 
so for me, it was I, I was like, I don't know why people don't write this book. You know, um, is it the only way to achieve a one rep map? Of course, it's not. You know, um, is it? Have I found over a long period of time, you know, nearly twenty years of different versions to be one of the most effective? Yeah, I personally found that. You know, is it the only one I run? No, but in truth. I tend to use this one because it gives me definitives about attempt selections and also it creates that, like we talked about earlier, that psychological, like, uh, but rather than keep going on about the book, if you want to check it out right there, I've got one in front of me. <laughs> there. Check it out. Check it out. It's a, uh, you know, it's a fun read. Even, even if you've got a really great method that you've found excellent to pick up with, great i'm happy for you you might want it there's there's tons of information we've got interviews with ray williams uh kimberly walford you know i'm lucky enough to have got those interviews uh owen and Stephen manuel so uh and lots of insights you know so it's worth a checking out it's probably a nice book to read in powerlifting world i guess yeah i, I thought get it and enjoy I think, it i think it just from someone who i'm not necessarily like I've only competed in powerlifting once. I worked with a cup like a number of powerlifters and it was just nice to see uh, an experienced coach talk about their methods and kind of what they've experienced within the field just from that kind of understanding mm. and reading about these different things and it was just very nice. So not whether or not I will 100% use the system, uh, yeah. I will definitely be using elements and lessons learned from it for sure yeah. whether it kind of I think yeah, anyone that's what can I think benefit book, from it. The book has the most value. It's if you want to use it as a uh, a cookie cutter method even though I wouldn't say do it exactly you've always got to make it specific to you don't get me wrong but the the principles you might want to use you know and say right I'm going to match triple as a predictor lift and then volume double whatever it is you know but you know if you are competitively lifting you know what I've done is I've tried to put a lot of information just as general coaching at the international at the elite level and things I found out, I'm still learning. You know, there's some great people in this country. A lot of the really top coaches are the ones you probably don't know the names of. Actually, I do mention a few of these in the back of the book, to be honest. And a lot of the coaches in the UK for powerlifting that you probably might have heard of probably don't produce, you know, as many. They tend to be more internet sensations than they are actual. And I think even that goes with America. I mean, you've got, you have got some great coaches that do produce great lifters but there again there's a hell of a lot out there that are phenomenally well known but you think yeah but who actually have they produced <laughs> you know so, yeah I'll, I'll make sure all the the link for the book or everything right. all of your instagram facebook website will be below so people can check those out and i just want to say a massive thank you to yourself lawrence and hopefully people will really take something away from here so yeah thank you everyone for listening and uh, take care